Welcome to a special Thanksgiving edition of The Farcast, bringing you experts and insiders every week, bringing insight to Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to The Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week, November the 24th. Thanksgiving is upon us. Can you believe it again? And in spite of COVID and the other ills that have befallen us this year, I am certain we all have a great deal for which we are thankful and will continue to be thankful. We're thankful for all of you on the Farcast, our regular listeners, and for folks around the country and around the world who send us notes every week and topics to discuss and questions. We appreciate it very, very much as we do our best to cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Well, we're going to start with Wall Street here. Our friend Kenny Polcari is managing partner of Case Capital Advisors. He's the chief market strategist at Slatestone Wealth and a managing director at Campfire Capital. He was the voice of the New York Stock Exchange for many, many years. <laughs> Welcome back to the Farcast, Kenny. Thank you, Michael. It's always a pleasure to be here. How are, happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving. It's great that you're here. And Kenny, uh, one of the things we can be thankful for is the stock market this year. Who knew that in the year of COVID we'd have these kind of returns? Janet Yellen seems to be the new nominee for Treasury Secretary from President-elect Biden. We've got Dow futures up over 300 points. Could be Dow 30,000 day. What do you think's going on, Kenny? Uh, listen, I think it's uh, I think it's all very interesting, and you're right. Who, who would have thought back in March, when the, when the market was collapsing, that we'd end the year uh, making new highs and new strides, and uh, while we're still now in this second wave of the crisis, so it's been a very very curious year. But there have been some fairly significant developments over the last month, certainly. Uh, the vaccine news is, is one of the reasons the market's lighting on fire. But the, the news yesterday, not only the Jenny Yellen pick, but the news yesterday that the Biden, uh, that the Trump administration has now essentially conceded and opened up the door to the transition, I think is also very helpful in terms of market psyche and investor psyche, that fear of this knockdown, drag them out fight in the final weeks of December, pr most likely now uh, not happening. Biden is uh, the transition team is is moving along, and now he's starting to make appointments to his cabinet or nominations to his cabinet, and the market is uh, and the market is 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 showing uh, its pleasure with that. And certainly Janet Yellen, who was the former Fed chair, and is will now be Treasury Secretary, and has worked with uh, Jay Powell hand in hand at the Fed. Uh, the market assumes that that's going to all be very good for the economy, for markets. She tends to be dovish. He's tending to be dovish at the moment. We know that they say rates are going to stay zero through 2022, which is another conversation we could have, because I think that is such a long shot bet that you can't even make it. But that's a whole other conversation. One way or the other, I think you're right. Today could be down 30,000. Um, certainly, the S&P is going to break through 3,600 and challenge the November highs of 3,645, I would imagine, by tomorrow. Wow. Well, so this is a this is a, a bullish day for markets coming into Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I agree, Kenny. You know, this notion that we're going to have a peaceful transition of power is very important. It's actually one of the core fu fundamentals of our uh, democracy here in the U.S. And it's one of those things, you know, that we take for granted often. But it offers our markets a premium. 
right. uh, that, that, that we have uh, this organized, peaceful government uh, is, is hugely important. That we have the Federal Reserve, and I think the independence of the Federal Reserve that's able to work hand-in-hand -hand with the Yellen, I think is actually going to be a pretty good thing. I had great respect for her as Fed chairman. She was... She seemed yeah. to me to be very even-handed. Well, listen, in a very difficult time, not only in this country, but in the global economy, you're right. I agree. She was even-handed. She didn't, you know, she never got, she never didn't appear to get rattled. I think she was an overall, uh, the assessment is she's a good communicator um, of policy. Um, she sticks through guns, but I think she's, I think she's going to be good. And I think the market action between yesterday afternoon and today uh, and what's happening around the world, investors around the world, I think, are celebrating a Janet Yellen treasury pick as well. Look at the European markets, all better up than one and a quarter percent across the board. And uh, the Asian markets were all high with the exception of China, which has been making new highs. So in that sense, that's just kind of churning a little bit and digesting its move. But I think the overall tone uh, is positive. It may be that President Trump was just listening to us, Kenny, because he just tweeted, just this second tweeted, quotes, I concede nothing, quotes. So, Did he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Mr. President, we didn't mean to offend you there. Uh, I would, you know, it, it probably Donald Trump is, is, a, is a regular subscriber to the forecast. Um, then thank you for that, Mr. President. We're grateful to have you. Kenny, this is not an inexpensive market as we look at it. With the market making new highs, uh, price-to-earnings ratios 22 times next year's earnings. That's two standard deviations above the average. Right. How does this market stay this high? And a lot of economists are calling for a double dip, kind of a recession, and certainly a weak spot early January as these new COVID resurgence shuts down different parts of the economy. Whether the government shuts it down or people just stay home, economic activity is going to sort of uh, be muted here. What do you think as an investor? What happens with the economy? Do we get the stimulus? And why do stock prices stay this high? I actually, I actually, it's an interesting conversation because I actually think now with the vaccine news and the fact that Dr. Salali came out over the weekend saying that uh, this vaccine is going to be available starting December 12th, certainly not, heard that. not in huge volume, but right? it is it is a positive move in the sense that their vaccines are coming out, people will start to get vaccinated. So I actually think uh, that the economy is not going to run into uh, a problem in the new year. I think, you know, we're running into a problem now, and that may be reflected uh, in the macro data that comes. But by the time the new year starts, I think the economy, if this vaccine works, um, will be okay. I also think those one of some of the concerns that you should be aware of is what's going to happen in the Biden administration. What happens with Georgia? And then what does that mean for the Senate? And then what does that mean for policy? That's where I think the market is not paying enough attention to yet, because I do think there's a real risk, especially now, uh, uh, that that the that both Republican seats are up for that are really up for grabs, and that could then change uh, the outlook at least for the next two years to get the next midterm election, right? So I do suspect that when the new year comes, we're going to get a pullback because I think we're going to rally into the end of this year. Uh, the typical Santa Claus rally, as well as kind of the the uh, uh, the easing tensions over a, tr a transition, I think that will that will lend itself to a rally at the year end. But then I think in the new year, when the slates are wiped clean and it starts all over, I do think that there is possibility for the market to pull back. And I wouldn't necessarily be surprised about that. You just made the point. The S&P is trading two standard deviations above historical averages. It is expensive. 
And unless you can prove or unless you can show how the economy is going to grow so fast, so much to support these prices, there has to be a revaluation, a re kind of a pricing of assets. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually a healthy thing. And so investors, long-term investors, uh, should take that as an opportunity. I see a Goldilocks scenario out there that I'm hearing about in Washington. I, I'm hearing that this week, if not today, there's a meeting between President-elect Biden and Mitch McConnell that they're going to try, uh, and they're old friends, actually. This is yep. kind of a, this is a little bit of a Reagan, Tip O'Neill kind of a thing. They both have their agendas, and uh, certainly Mitch McConnell has his agenda, but uh, that they might be able to get some sort of stimulus package done here in December as a partial package and come and revisit after the inauguration seems to me to be a Goldilocks scenario. I think that would be what Jay Powell would like to see, certainly, and it might be able to get us through. But I kind of do see this. Uh, I do see the threat of a double dip uh, probably being greater than you see it with the economic data and the economic slowdown. We're just looking at all of these cases spike all over the country and cities that are now, you know, mayors and governors who are shutting down public school systems and other things. Right. It's it's uh, tough, particularly when the cold weather comes. So I, I'm, I'm concerned about those things. If you're an investor, Kenny, we've been through this before. First, tell us the significance of Dow 30,000. I, I know it's a question you and I always get when we, whenever these market, right? I mean, I've still got my Dow 10,000 hat, you know? Right. Uh, and um, so if we, if you got a Dow 30,000, what's the significance? And talk to Fred and Ethel who are saying, wait a minute, uh, it's, it's awfully high. It seems to go up. What do I do? Okay, so down 30,000, the fact is that we've just entered, it's another big round number, and now we've gone from the 20,000s into a whole new set of, uh, a, a range set, right? Down 30,000 would just be significant because of the number. Other than that, um, it's just a number, right? I mean, it's significant, but it's just a number. One way or the other, the valuations are high, like you say. Fred and Ethel, uh, they should just remain focused and stick to their plan. Remember, investing is not uh, static. It's very dynamic. doesn't mean you, Fred and Ethel have to look at it every single day, but they got to look at it quarterly with their advisor. They've got to kind of see where it's gone out of balance. they got to that's really the the message for Fred Nethel. If you're if you're a day trader type, all you want is more confusion, and that's great. You should have it. Go for it. But as the Fred Nethel type, you need to eliminate the noise. Stay tight with people like you and me that are helping them to manage their money and create these strategies for them that will provide uh, that will provide for them and their families in the future. Uh, in the future. You know, I think one of the most dangerous things that the individual, less sophisticated investor can do is to look at their portfolio every day. I think uh, it's really dangerous. I think it's very dangerous, and that's exactly the point. The long-term investor should absolutely not be doing that because it creates anxiety. There are some days where, oh, my God, you feel really good. You pat yourself on the back because the market's gone up. But when the market takes a hit, and listen, we've seen that in the last year alone. How many times has the market corrected 10% very right. swiftly? And it right. makes everybody get anxious and anxiety-ridden. And then look what happens. The market recovers, and 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 cooler heads prevail, and then the, and the market goes back. And so the worst thing the long-term investor, especially Fred Nethel, should do is be looking at their account every day and questioning, why did this go up? Why did this go down? You can't do that. You've got to take the longer-term focus and understand that the portfolio is designed. Parts of it will perform well some days. Parts of it won't. That's okay. That's why it's there, because uh, it'll balance each other out. It's what you pay us for, folks. 
we watch as professionals we do watch the market every day we do watch it all day for you it's you know dan mahaffey says uh we're the center of the study of the presidency and congress and we study the presidency and congress so you don't have to right. and 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 that's a great relief but I watch the stock market. I've got folks who watch the stock market all day long, so you don't have to. And by the way, and this is probably a difference between Kenny and Farr here. The difference between Kenny and Farr is uh, probably, I'm going to put this on you, Kenny, you, you tell me, but uh, I, I, I often don't know what the stock market, uh, I, I check the stock market most evenings before I, you know, uh, but I don't check it all day long. And I'll see people out and I'll see people at the, on the golf course in different places. They go, oh, hey, Michael, wh what's the market doing? And I, and I always look at them and they can't believe it. I say, I don't know. I never look at the stock market. I don't look at it during the day. I right. never care. I, mean, I don't know. I, look, I looked at it. Yes, yesterday it was OK. It looked like it was going to open up this morning. Get back to me. I don't know. It right. doesn't matter. But you know what I tend to look at it more is when not so much when the market's going up. You tend to look at it more as a financial advisor uh, when all of a sudden the, when the market's under pressure because you have to be concerned. you got to make sure why is the market under pressure. Because I found myself, especially in March, when the world was collapsing, you had to pay more attention. But when the market's on its way up and you know you've got well-balanced portfolios, you're right. Then I'm off doing other things. I'm out, I'm out uh, trying to build a new business. I'm out golfing with clients. I'm out boating with clients, whatever it is. Um, but when the market is under pressure, I tend to watch it more. Just because I think everybody tends to, but Fred Nettles should should be be uh, assured in the fact that it is people like you and me that are watching out on their behalf because that's why they have us. You know, one thing that I would tell clients, Kenny, yours, mine, and everybody else's, and mostly I want to speak to everybody else's clients, those who are not clients of Polcari and for Far Miller in Washington. Take a look. One of the things you can do at year end is take a look at your portfolio and take a look at the discipline of your advisor and of your manager. And I'm going to suggest to you, here's financial advice, which I almost never do on the air. Uh, if you have one of those advisors who took big bets, who said, I think the economy's going to do this, or I need to get all in, or I wanted to get all out, or I wanted to get completely out of technology, or I wanted to make these big shifts, I would suggest to you that you consider shifting advisors. Yes. Big shifts in the short term big shifts because of something that's got you emotionally upset are to your detriment. Emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. Find a dispassionate, disciplined advisor. Um, I, that's the best advice I can possibly give you. Let them do the work and let them use their discipline and experience and their dispassion on your behalf. That's really what we do, isn't it, Kenny? It's exactly what we do, and I think that was very well said. And I think that, you know, clients that, clients of mine, like clients of yours, they know that, they trust in that fact, right? They trust that uh, there's no reason to panic, uh, unless you're panicking or I'm panicking, which, you know, doesn't doesn't happen a whole lot. No. Uh, and so, um, and so that's what they that's what they celebrate and that's what they trust that they know that uh, we've got their best interests at heart. Kenny Polcari is a managing partner of Case Capital Advisors, chief market strategist at Slate Stone Wealth, and managing director at Campfire Capital. Also one of our regulars on the Farcast. Kenny, thank you so much for being with us. As always, your insight and wisdom are really, really valuable. We wish you and your family a very happy Thanksgiving. And you as well. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you on the other side.
Yes, sir. Stay safe. Stay well. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be back with Dan Mahaffey for this abbreviated forecast. I'll have a few of my final comments on markets before Thanksgiving here at the end. We'll be right back with Mahaffey. Please stay with us. Thank you for joining us on this week's forecast. We'd like to invite you to follow Michael on Twitter and LinkedIn. On his social media feed, you'll find links to all of Michael's media appearances, articles he's been quoted in in such newspapers as the Wall Street Journal and Washington Post, and of course, the Farcast. Additionally, Michael shares some of the articles we are reading at Far Miller in Washington every morning that we feel have bearing on the investing landscape. That's Michael underscore K underscore Far on Twitter and Michael Farr on LinkedIn. And now, back to Michael and the Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast, and now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. Joining me now is our great friend and senior political analyst, Dan Mahaffey, from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, where he is the senior policy director. Welcome back, Dan. Thank you, Michael. Great to be talking with you again. How are you? Uh, you know, this is a, this is a great week and, and very interesting things going on here in Washington. Uh, Janet Yellen yesterday afternoon uh, is apparently going to be the new Treasury Secretary. We're hearing about uh, President-elect Biden's uh, cabinet. Uh, or, or proposed cabinet anyway. I would think that most I've heard so far look like they'll walk right into those jobs. We'll see what you think. And uh, we've also seen the president-elect's transition actually be certified. So he's going to receive access mm. to those monies. And I was thinking, okay, uh, maybe that means that we're going to be hearing from President Trump. And indeed, we did just earlier this morning, who tweeted, and I quote, I concede nothing, end quote. Dan, what do you make of all of this and what's going on in Washington now? Well, he conceded nothing, and then he retweeted noted election scholar and uh, legal expert Randy Quaid for his many thoughts on this. So the president's having a bit of a morning Ran on Twitter. Randy Quaid, Randy Quaid, the actor? The, the actor, yes. Randy Quaid, the actor. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what James Woods and John Voight are up to, too. But the... Uh, the, the question here is, look, look, it's just such a different contrast we're going to have here very soon. The president, we, we're having these tweets this morning. He concedes nothing. On the other hand, you're seeing Biden build basically what is a boring and very qualified cabinet to be a stark contrast between how that administration is going to do policy to what we've seen over the past four years. Boring and very qualified, Dan. Boring and very qualified. Now, those are kind of odd descriptors, and certainly some that we haven't seen uh, in Washington. We've had some very qualified people in Washington, but we haven't had a lot of boring in Washington. If you're building a new cabinet as a president-elect, what do the what do those choices of boring and very qualified tell you about the course of the president-elect's administration and agenda? Well, I think a lot of it is going to be driven by let's get back to process. There's ways for making policy. There's ways for doing law and regulations. And it's not by Twitter first thing in the morning. It's not having advisors contesting who gets out in front of cameras. You know, I don't think we're going to have Janet Yellen running to the podium first thing in the morning to make sure the market goes green uh, by 10 a.m. You know, you're not going to have that kind of approach from this administration. You're going to want to have a 
thoughtful they're going to go through the policy planning process. You've got someone like Tony Blinken, who was number two at the State Department. He's going to be Secretary of State. He knows the processes, the way you do diplomacy. You bring in someone like John Kerry, who, whether you like him or not politically, I think is an interesting pick because you immediately have someone with gravitas and a high level in terms of protocol to immediately travel to a bunch of other world capitals. Janet Yellen, as we talked about, head of the CEA, Fed chair, and now Treasury secretary. The first person to hold all three of those positions. And two worth, I think, noting what her positions were on some of these things when she was Fed chair. She's someone who thinks the Fed should outright buy stocks if they need to. Her, she's got an expansive view of this, so it's going to be very different. But ultimately, we're not going to be waking up at 9 a.m. to find a tweet and figure out policy or what the agenda is for that day. It's going to be far more deliberate and process-driven. I feel, as you say that, I, I kind of feel myself exhaling, and and that I can that I can sort of uh, think about what a reasonable expectation for policy in the world of developments, and 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 that we don't get uh, we don't get whipsawed around quite as much, perhaps as we have been by headlines. In an age of COVID, it certainly be certainly be welcome. Uh, so if we have a more deliberate sort of an agenda, can we then expect it's going to be more moderate? These well, are moderate choices, aren't they? Yeah, they're moderate choices so far. And, and it's interesting how the Biden campaign and now the Biden proto-administration has run this. I'll take example uh, of the auto industry and the switch to electrification in that industry. And what they've done, it's bringing together industry, labor, the environmentalists. He's trying to get everyone around the table to say, look, we, we need to do this for the environment. We need to do it for his competitiveness. He tries to find win-win compromises. And, and that's the sense of it so far. Whether he can do that now when it comes to the challenge of governing in this partisan environment will be the question. But you can see his attempts and his approach. Okay, let's talk about the stimulus for a second. We're hearing that there is a scheduled meeting between Mitch McConnell and President-elect Biden. Uh, they uh, are have a have, have a very collegial relationship, or reportedly get along pretty well. Can you tell us about that? Have you heard about this meeting coming up, and and does that bode uh, well for a possible stimulus package prior to year end? I still think we see a stimulus package in uh, in January. That the because you of don't the believe George this two part thing. I mean, I'm hearing a two part: a first some money now, and then let's revisit it after the. Okay, uh, maybe we get a few. Th maybe we attach a few things to keeping government open because that's a forcing function that December 10th deadline, and that might get some of the low hanging fruit. I would maybe give that a 33% chance of happening if you can if you can get that. There's just so much dug in on the rhetoric around Georgia and no one wanting to uh, blink uh, before then. Beyond that, though, look, I think Biden, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say Biden and McConnell have a friendship. There's a grudging respect of two longtime <laughs> senators. Um, you know, I you know, there's a lot of people, you know, in Washington, if you want a friend, get a dog. Yes. Uh, but beyond that, the the way that Biden and McConnell will work, it will be interesting to see, one, so much is an unknown until we know the Senate majority. But with McConnell, it's a question of what can they agree on in terms of, you know, perhaps are there things like infrastructure? Is there immigration? Are there things that 
look, establishment Republicans wanted to get done but couldn't because of this White House, and now they have a chance, sure. But that assumes a Republican Party that is a little more cooperative than the one we've seen. And that's the question and the other unknown, I think, as we see the president tweeting, refusing to concede, what flavor is the Republican Party? How does that relationship between Trump and the grassroots push Republican senators in their cooperation with Biden? Okay, so give us the answer to that. How does it push uh, them in I think their it's relationship? I think it's going to make it a lot harder to get back to those sort of those halcyon days where we think of uh, Joe and Mitch becoming the new Ronnie and Tip. That's just not how Washington would work anymore. I'd love to see it get back to that, but it's going to be a little bit more of the kind of what can we do to find perhaps those low-hanging fruit wins like we talked about. You know, maybe it's that little bit of stimulus now. Maybe it's those things like that. But our our environment and the incentives for politics are so toxic, I worry about big accomplishments actually being made. So uh, it, it, let's go then to uh, Georgia here and just cover that one more. Let's beat that dead horse one more time, which we're going to do, uh, ladies and gentlemen, until we have that election on January 5th. Are you seeing any shift there? Uh, as to what you expect? Have you changed your odds at all? I still keep it there because of the, the structure of Georgia, the, the unknown question of whether suburban voters that went to Biden are those rented or owned by Democrats. That's still unknown. So I still have my same prediction. The, what I'd say is a benefit for Democrats, if they're looking for a tailwind right now, it's the divide on the Republican Party on how to approach this, particularly with Trump prolonging the contest, refusing to concede. Uh, on social media right now, there's a, a on right-wing social media, there's a trend right now telling people to write in Trump on their Georgia ballots in the runoff, uh, which would be completely counterproductive for the Republicans, but that's the kind of sentiment that's there. So if, if the president has this kind of burn it down on the way out mentality, that's good news for Democrats. There are two very moderate Democratic senators currently in the Senate, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and John Tester from Montana. On a 50-50 Senate, those two guys as moderates become very, very important and very powerful. If the Republicans keep one of those seats, are they, aren't they? they still pretty powerful, Manchin and Tester? Yeah, they're still pretty powerful. And the, and the Senate's an interesting institution because as powerful as the majority leaders can be, when you've seen these groups get together, remember when we have gangs of 14 or gangs of yes. 10 in the center, they can they can affect some policy change. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on how, you know, how does a Manchin and Tester work with a uh, Romney, Portman, Collins type arrangement? You know, Manchin and Collins are already uh, two close uh, cooperators. Uh, cooperative relationships you have, uh, uh, Angus King as well. Look, there's a lot of people in the Senate who actually think would like some forcing function for them to get that institution working again. Um, it, it, but it comes down to, of course, Georgia and, and ultimately how Mitch McConnell wants to approach this. Let's go broadly now uh, to the world here, Dan, as we co always cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world on the forecast. Uh, Tony Blinken, as, as the Secretary of State, uh, what does that mean for our relationships with China, uh, Iran, 
Uh, and I guess the EU, NATO, give us a broad across the board and don't forget Russia and do it in a yeah. minute. <laughs> so, real, yeah, in a minute. To, we have to remember Anthony Blinken uh, was, when he was Deputy Secretary of State, he ran the Asia portfolio in the Obama administration. So China, Japan, South Korea, he knows those well, because remember, Kerry was over running the Iran deal. So Blinken's a very, uh, very accomplished Asia hand and experienced in that way. Uh, again, also a very strong manager. I think what we're going to see, though, is on Russia, China, an emphasis on I would say very muscular diplomacy, getting our allies back in line, building coalitions, approaching those as a group of democracies rather than these, these bilateral disagreements with the U.S., and, and then really pushing back on, in ways of, of influence and narrative, not just uh, military force. You've watched Blinken for years, Dan. Can he, is he the right guy to do that? I think he is, and I think it's also very important to note that you, you see that they're still looking for people there that also have a, a trust and a strong wor working relationship with the president. It's not going to be like Tillerson, where it's a big name, but then he gets frozen out because he doesn't get along. These are the you know these are the ways that you see just sort of a a, a strong and you know I hate to use this word, but it's Washington strong bureaucratic instincts for managing things as complicated as, say, the Treasury, the State Department, or Defense Department. Uh, bureaucracy, don't we love it? I'm from the government, and I'm here to help the scariest words that you might ever hear. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress and the senior political analyst for the Farcast. Thank you so much, Dan. And happy, safe, peaceful uh, Thanksgiving for you and your family. Yep. Enjoy as well. Take care. Thank you, Dan. Thank Ladies you. and gentlemen, we're going to be right back with some final thoughts on an abbreviated Thanksgiving holiday forecast when we come back. Please stay with us. Welcome back to the forecast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for being with us this week. Thanks so much to Kenny Polkari and Dan Mahaffey for their insights and for their help. This morning, markets are open, and we are just a shadow under Dow 30,000. And as I look at valuations, they do strike me as high. And I think that you, when the rule to remember you buy sell high, uh, this is not low. You have to be very careful as you enter markets at these sorts of levels. If you look more broadly, you can see things over the course of the past year that have still underperformed uh, from our COVID shutdown. You can also find stocks that have been left out for a long time. I talked about a stock uh, at the beginning of the year um, called Valmont. And Valmont uh, makes light poles, um, those big light poles out on highways. And they make some agricultural equipment and some other things. It was a stock that was just forgotten for a very long time. It's, it's done a bit better because uh, it looks like we may have an infrastructure bill, and as the economy is heating up again and, and starting to recover, uh, they're doing a bit better. But we always try to find the stocks, I think, and the various companies that are very strong companies might not uh, be doing well currently, uh, but perhaps on their way to some sort of recovery on a good, strong, fundamental base. So we continue to look for those, and we continue to try and eliminate risk from portfolios. At this time of year, folks, it's a good time to take a checkup. And as you stop to think about the things for which you are grateful and to be thankful at this Thanksgiving, 
also take a look and review your portfolio, you review your investments, take account of things, and figure out if you are where you think you should be. Up 10% for the year in a year like this has been absolutely remarkable for most people's expectations. Will that continue? It strikes me that the path of least resistance for share prices continues to be higher. But you still need to be careful, and you still need to be cautious, and you certainly need to think about the long term. My advice that I mentioned to Kenny Polcari in the first segment, uh, it was a bit right off, off of the cuff, but I liked it. Sometimes you say something that you hear yourself say, and you say, <laughs> wait a minute, that was pretty good, <laughs> I think, and it may be worth repeating. So that as you do take a look at your investments, also take a good hard look at your investment advisor. Have they remained disciplined? Have they remained dispassionate? Are they dogged about their research? Do they understand your goals, uh, your interests? Do they understand your family, your needs, your wants, your hopes, and your fears? All of those things are very important I think, in the way an investment advisor and an investment counselor is able to work uh, with clients and helping them achieve their goals. These are not about my goals. These are about your goals. So at Thanksgiving time, I am very grateful for so many, many things. My family, certainly. My country, certainly. The wonderful business that I have enjoyed for well over 30 years the company that I started almost 25 years ago. We're going to be 25 years old in May. Uh, it's been a thrill and a delight. And yes, I've had my dark days, but the sunny days have been far, far many more sunny days than cloudy days. Uh, and that's been true for most of, most of my life. I am a very, very fortunate, fortunate person. I'm grateful for each and every one of my co-workers, my fellows at Farr Miller and Washington. So many have been there for 10 and 20 years and more. It's, it is a great blessing, not only for me, but for our clients to have those folks of tenure, of dedication, of passion about our work and dispassion about our process. That's what you need. These, those professionals who are passionate about what they do and dispassionate about the process there's too many. When passions run high in my business, mistakes get made. I'm also grateful very much as we've gone through this election season and have certainly been reminded of, of where we stand uh, politically and we're amidst a political transition, at least in the executive branch. And certain members of Congress are moving in and moving out of new offices in Washington. Our leadership is changing. I'm grateful for a peaceful transition of power. Uh, I'm also grateful for our health uh, and our health care and our science and the terrific technology we have uh, in this country and around the world, that we have vaccines already that look like they're going to be very effective. I'm grateful for all of those things. Uh, I'm grateful to God for the position for, that I have and for the many, many blessings that I've enjoyed over my life. I'm thankful for your blessings, too for the blessings enjoyed by so many of my family and friends. And finally, I'm going to leave you with uh, something that I wrote a few years ago in my uh, last book, uh, Restoring Our American Dream. I am writing a fourth book right now 
uh, and it's. Uh, I, I think you're going to like it. I'll talk more about it about it later. I'm I'm working on book number four. Each one seems a bit harder, by the way. I thought that the first book was going to be the hardest one. Not so much. You you have a lot to say in the first book, and then you really try to be more and more careful as you go on. I think this next one's going to be a very important book. But when I think about the things. Uh, for which I'm grateful. I am grateful to be living in this wonderful country. And here's what I wrote a few years ago. America has a religion. It is noble and sacred and pure. It's carried in the hearts and souls of our citizens and is the pride and legacy of a committed, self-reliant and determined generation upon generation. America's faith is one of possibility, hope, longing, yearning, hard work. And in spite of intimidating, almost impossible odds, glorious triumph. America offers her fertile, self-reliant loam for fabulous imaginings that grow into steps tenaciously taken and result in victories previously thought impossible. This faith is so pervasive that it's unwise to tell Americans they can't because the American heart will reflexively whisper back, oh, yes, we can. America does. America has done. And America will do. And it's all because of you. And it's all because of your heart it's all because of your determination, your hope, and your dreaming. I am grateful to walk this road with you as people of hope, of fellow dreamers, of people who aspire, of people who care about one another, of people who reject a lot of the angry voices and know that we can be better. I hope that you will join hands and maybe even virtually this Thanksgiving with your family and friends and look to that great city, that shining city upon a hill that where we know that we can be better, we will do better and we will achieve great things as we move forward uh, through the pages of history together. I wish you every blessing, health and safety for this Thanksgiving uh, and certainly for the rest of the year. And I hope uh, you'll begin to look forward with me to welcome in a brand new 2021 and say goodbye to 2020. Uh, we've got vaccines. We've got great things to hope for. Uh, God bless you and your families. And God bless America. Thank you all for listening to the forecast. We'll be back next week. Know that I'm grateful to each of you. God bless. From Naples, Florida, it's Michael Farr. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for being with us on this Thanksgiving edition of The Farcast. Special thanks to Michael's guests, Kenny Polcari and Dan Mahaffey. And a special thanks to all of you, our listeners, on this holiday week. We hope you enjoy listening to the show as much as we enjoy making it for you. We love hearing from you, and we try to respond to all of your notes and suggestions every week. You can reach us at hjennings at farmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like us to cover. The Farcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all major podcast platforms. 
We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any index fund, manager, or strategy. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, not intended to be, and should not be construed as the provision of investment advice by Farm Miller & Washington or any firm any of our guests may represent. And before you make any investment decision, we strongly recommend you consult with a financial professional to determine what may be best for your individual needs and goals. And if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmmiller.com. We are here to help, and I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and, and your investment goals. Take care. Stay safe and stay healthy. We'll be back with you next week. Go beyond the headlines each week with the Farcast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world.